Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to another episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and today we are diving deep into the biology of emotions and really disguised grief. Our episode today seeks to answer the question, how do our emotions, particularly disguised grief, affect our biology? There are two sections to this podcast episode. The first section will introduce the concept of disguised grief and its impact on the body, The second section, we will focus on the strategies and tools to help manage emotional responses in the moment. To join me today is my good friend, Dr. Joan Rosenberg. She's a psychologist and author, and we will be talking about principles she wrote in her book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, and this idea that 90 seconds is what you need to sit with and move through an emotional response. Joan and I, well, I should say I have had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Joan over the last few years, and I have many memories that come up just as I say that, many shared laughs, many talks. She has this ability to see beneath the surface and has had the courage to speak things to me and into me in my life that have been very instrumental for my personal growth. I sincerely love and enjoy Joan and expect that you will come to love and enjoy her as well. In this episode, you will learn about the eight most common emotional responses and how they affect us, the concept of disguised grief and its impact on the body, the role of the vagus nerve in emotional regulation, and how to actually ride and move through an emotional response. With that, welcome Dr. Joan. I'm very honored and I'm also quite humbled by your introduction. Thank you so much. So part of my personal experience was that when you describe avoiding, distracting, uh, around uncomfortable feelings, that was me for most of my life. <laughs> and then I had a huge health crash. And when I started working around like what's at the root cause of this, this is a lot of what was at the root cause. And when I started working with a counselor at that time, she encouraged me to start asking some of the difficult questions that were in my head, but I never was comfortable enough to even acknowledge that I was having those types of thoughts, those types of insecurities. And so just that process of shifting things really, first of all, made me realize how very little present I was in my life. And I hadn't known this before, right? Like I just, I hadn't known just how much I actually brace and protect and shut down and hold back. And so it started this big transformation in my life that has ultimately led me to now, you know, become certified in different trauma therapies because I realized how much these unpleasant feelings actually control our life and affect our health. So Walk us through how these unpleasant feelings um, are actually ones that we can lean into for the value of them rather than having it become a burden and an energy exhaustion by trying to avoid all unpleasant feelings. Right. Well, I I see unpleasant feelings as really um, central to our life. 
the, the first thing is to understand that they exist for protective purposes. So most of us try to avoid them. And I'll speak in a moment about why I think we do that. But the first thing I would want people to understand is that unpleasant feelings are designed for protective purposes. That's why they exist. So, so think unpleasant feelings for protection and pleasant feelings exist for connection. And I think also creativity. Mm-hmm. So, so and that's a, an important shift because for unpleasant feelings, most of us have labeled them as just bad. Right. And, and I ones don't, that we I, didn't make happy. Correct. And I never use the word bad or negative for unpleasant feelings. They're unpleasant, mm-hmm. they're uncomfortable, they're unsettling, they're unsomething. They're not bad or negative. So the first thing I would have you do is take that language out and just start labeling them as difficult, unpleasant, or uncomfortable. And then they, they actually become easier to tolerate once you change the language around them. Again, so mm-hmm. words have vibration to them and, and we start to react even just by the use of the word. So mm-hmm. toss bad or negative, they're unpleasant or uncomfortable. When we see them as something that's survival-based, then we know that there's a message there for us. Something in what? the situation triggered my survival responses. I wonder what that is. We can get curious about it rather than just shutting it down and saying, nope, I shouldn't be feeling that way. I'm not going to feel that way. That's too uncomfortable, too unpleasant, so that's bad. Uh, Right. So see the whole range of what you feel as a a resource pool of information. Uh And and if you try to ditch half of that information, you're missing a a lot of important data for you to use in life, right? Uh And the other thing for me is that all the whole range of what we feel is the essence of our aliveness. Exactly. So feelings to me equals aliveness. You try to cut out part of that. Now you're numbing yourself down. And 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 when we numb ourselves down, sure, we can numb some of those more unpleasant feelings, but we also numb the joy, the happiness, the more positive experiences. And we, we start to become living in this rigid window of tolerance for emotions. Right, right. I actually think we, yes, exactly. So we, if we, Shut down on one side, we're muffling the other side. Absolutely. Yes. It's a lot of energy for us to be shutting down emotions that are natural for the body to be experiencing. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And again, part of what I want people to wrap their heads around is that this is the essence of aliveness. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you take that away, then, you, then you're actually damping down your own sense of aliveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's like, uh, I had two big questions in life, and, and, and I'm sure I had more, but the two big ones that really stood out, one had to do with how one develops confidence, because that, that again, that came out of, of my childhood, because I wasn't that confident child. And then the second, as I got into my professional life, had to do with what made it so difficult for people to deal with unpleasant feelings. And and as a psychologist, I would notice that, you know, like people struggled with how they think, and that you know, that affected them too, but, but it was the unpleasant feelings that I felt people struggled even more with. So if I dial it into it, what I came up with was kind of a a formula as I began to understand what was behind it. And again, my perspective is that the formula, I'm sorry, the formula is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. So the one choice for me is that I wanted people to lean into Yep. Unpleasant feelings. To, Which is a choice. <laughs> it is it's totally a choice. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's a choice to a degree, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that so that the the idea here is that you're you're choosing to be as aware of and in touch with as much of your moment to moment experience as possible. And we're doing that instead of of distracting or disconnecting. And we, you know, so what does distraction or disconnection look like? Well, it looks like social media or screens. It looks like shopping. It looks like uh, for men a little bit more than women, it looks like pornography or sex, or it could be uh, alcohol or substances, or it, it could actually be having feelings about having feelings or judging yourself for having feelings. Those are distractions too. So my thing is that's all avoidance behavior. We don't want avoidance. It keeps you kind of checked out, doesn't help you. And instead, the the ideas choose into awareness. So that was the first part. The second is the eight feelings. And, and the feelings that I always talk about are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. Yep. So what happens here is like, like why these eight? Because anxiety is not there. Fear is not there. Guilt's not there. All for good reason in my head. But the, the idea here for me is that it's these eight feelings because they're the most common everyday spontaneous reactions to things not turning out the way that we want or the way that we believe we need. I'm not sure that we even understand how often we feel those when we are distracting ourselves so much from those very same feelings. It wasn't until I actually became a lot more present that I realized how frequently I was going into feeling embarrassed, feeling shame, (laughs) feeling disappointment. I didn't know that I was feeling that much because I was avoiding them that much. Well, yeah, right. So you have to, you have to be able to lean into them to even (laughs) gather that, uh, you know, that awareness, if you will. Yeah. So, and, and again, for me, it's like, why these eight? It's be, again, I think I, I may have just said that because they're most common. That's how we react, everyday life. Yep. And, and so it's, if I put some of the other ones in, it would, be, uh, it, it would not actually be our everyday life reactions. Mm-hmm. So, the, so that's the second part of it. And then the third part is the method, really, is the 90 seconds. Yep. And th- what I... Again, so this is me trying to solve how do I help somebody handle unpleasant feelings better? So the first part of it is understanding that we're one interconnected whole, right? That we're not a mind or a brain sitting on top of a body that has no connection to itself. We're, in fact, one interconnected whole. And many people would describe the body as the subconscious mind, actually, Mm -hmm. that it represents our subconscious mind. And But one interconnected whole. The second part of it is from the neuroscience research is understanding that the way that most of us come to know what we're feeling emotionally is through bodily sensation. So think uh, redness, uh, that you might see redness into my neck and face. If I'm embarrassed, I would be feeling the heat of that, of what you're seeing as redness. I would be feeling the heat as the bodily sensation, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, that's one, just one example. I can give many more, but but the then so the second part is again that that just understanding we come to know what we feel most of us become aware of it through bodily sensation, and then the third part for me was something that Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor wrote in her book My Stroke of Insight, and and the observation she made was that when a feeling of gets triggered, if you will, there's a rush of biochemicals that flood into the bloodstream that activate the bodily sensations I was just talking about. Yes. 
And they flush out of the bloodstream in an upper limit roughly of about 90 seconds. Yep. So what dawned on me is that if, if I could help people understand that to deal with unpleasant feelings meant riding bodily sensation waves, for 90 sort, of seconds. Like they were, sort of like they were riding a wave mm-hmm. in an ocean, mm-hmm. yep. then, then it, one, it would always subside. Mm-hmm. And then the second is that it was short-lived, right? So in order to lean into one or more of these eight feelings, mm-hmm. it's a matter of riding one or more, and I would emphasize the bodily sensation waves. Mm-hmm. So, so, it's, so the key here is if you can ride one or more short-lived bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings, then you can go pursue anything you want more. 100%. And like, this is why I wanted you to be able to share this information with people, because like, this is exactly what we're talking about. There is a biology to emotions. It's not just in our heads. <laughs> it's not just our thoughts. There are actually chemicals, signaling molecules that happen throughout our body that create a bodily experience of an emotion. And that is what is often the most uncomfortable part of the emotion itself. It's not the actual emotion. It's the bodily experience. It's what's right. going on in the body that is that can be very uncomfortable for people. In fact, that was that really for me was the turning point. It was realizing that what people were doing was wanting to avoid the bodily sensation. Yep. Help them know what they were feeling. And mm-hmm. that that's what people were trying to avoid so desperately. And that if I could get people to understand that it was going to be a short-lived bodily sensation wave then they, they could do it. And most people, when I talk to them and tell them this, one, they get surprised by the, oh, I really, I come to know what I'm feeling through bodily okay. sensation. And then the mm-hmm. second part is, oh, it's short-lived. I can do 90 seconds, mm-hmm. right? So then all of a sudden, now that people could lean into whatever it was that they mm-hmm. were dealing with. And this is where I, as a physician, as a medical physician, I found so much value for myself in pursuing some of the trauma therapy certifications like the somatic experiencing, because it was working with the body, working with the nervous system, just like in my medical training, but through a completely different lens and actually something that was very direct. I'm tracking the nervous system, not in the way that I was necessarily taught because that's not the the approach with the conventional medicine, but I'm, I'm, I'm seeing like this biology playing out in the body in real time. And how fascinating it became for me to see the science behind all of this and how much this does affect our biology. And certainly from my lens now seeing trauma as creating such lasting effects on our biology, when we don't allow these cycles to complete, what you're saying makes perfect sense. Because if we're not able to ride those waves, then things just get chaotic in our biology because we're adding we're adding the the shame of having that emotion or we're adding, you know, the avoidance to that emotion and we're not allowing the body to just naturally complete that 90 right. seconds <laughs> that right, it right. needs to, to resolve that and then be able to move on to the next step. We're getting right. stuck in these responses that are creating this metabolic chaos along with the emotional chaos. Right. I, I, again, I'm I'm on board with you 100%. You know, a friend of mine loves to say, "What doesn't get emotionalized gets physicalized." Yes. So, so then that that's where we start to see the the body mm-hmm. taking the traumatic hit, if you will. And 
you know, food or substances are a very natural way to calm down these emotional states. Right. And, you know, we understand that a lot of that has to do with the vagus nerve. The vagus right. nerve is running right behind the esophagus, goes into the stomach. So it's like all these coping mechanisms that we thought maybe were just psychological, we're now seeing, no, like these are biological mechanisms of this biology of emotions playing out right. and how the brain has just unconsciously figured out, oh, if I take a bite of my nuts right now, <laughs> this feeling will actually become less intense. But then again, it's it's blocking the actual completion of that wave that we that we need the body to accomplish if it's going to stay in a healthy place. One of the things that I really wanted to talk about today with you, Dr. Joan, is this disguised grief, because this is a lot of burden that people are carrying in their bodies. And they may not even understand that it's grief because they don't understand how to recognize disguised grief and what it is, because it's it's not always having clarity on why they would be grieving about something. Right. <laughs> they don't understand right. what they would have, you know, why, why the grief. And so then it gets, again, just, just complicated and ends up turning into an, another emotion usually, but grief and disguised grief is a huge burden on the health. And with more and more people experiencing grief with all of the changes lately that have happened socially, this kind of stuff is going to be surfacing much more often and turning into more physical diseases and symptoms because of that uh, biology connection. So walk us through disguised grief and maybe we can just start with saying, what is it? Well, let me, before, let me take one step back from that first and then, and then I'll, I'll move us into the disguised sure. grief part. Um, the, the way I think about grief is that it's it's comprised of at least four of the eight that I talk about. So grief in general, think of grief as an umbrella word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's a response to things not turning out the way that we either need or want, period, kind of end of story. And, and so we have a reaction to that. Well, what is the re- what are the most common reactions? And I would say sadness, helplessness, anger, and disappointment. So if you want to make it easy to remember, think shad instead of sad, right? Mm-hmm. Sadness, helplessness, anger, and disappointment. So again, broadly speaking, that's how I look at grief. Mm-hmm. Then what I realized as I was working with people is that there were a lot of things going on in people's people's lives mm-hmm. that had happened and that they had reactions to, but they hadn't made sense of these difficult life experiences. And, and that, that as I was doing psychotherapy and I had the opportunity to do psychotherapy with people over years, not just, not just weeks or months, is that what I found is that psychotherapy in and of itself, when you have an opportunity to stay in it a, a long time and really, really do the work on, on your life or, or make sense of, of what's going on in your life, that it, to me, psychotherapy was a grieving process. So again, as I continued to listen, I came up with kind of two categories that I would put, or two elements, if you will, that I would put under what I would describe as disguised grief. So the first one is is when people use what I call grief signal words. So grief signal words are things like leftover anger, bitterness, cynicism, sarcasm, pessimism, uh, revenge, desire for revenge, holding grudges resentment. So any words that sort of sound like that, envy, jealousy, any words that sound like that 
to me, underneath those words themselves suggest to me that underneath those words is grief. So that's one way to start to identify what I call disguised grief. It's disguised, it's, it's disguised behind these words, right? Yep. In, the, in this case. And then the second category, if you will, was what, again, grieving over what I call grieving over what we needed, what we wanted, what we desired, and, and, yeah. and dealing with the gap between that and what really occurred. So in that gap, if you will, is where the grief is. So, and then the, the categories that I put under this part of disguised grief is that we're grieving over what we got and didn't deserve. So in this case, think the bad stuff. Think chaos in a family home. So a drug, a drug uh, or substance abusing home where there's a lot of chaos. Think where there's uh, violence or threats of violence or cruelty or meanness. That, that it's, it's absolutely something that none of us should ever have to experience or, or bear witness to. So, so we're grieving over what we got and didn't deserve. Yep. The second category is uh, grieving over what we deserved and didn't get. So in this case, think the good stuff. We didn't get consistent praise. We didn't get consistent support. We didn't have somebody telling us that we, they loved us. Uh, and, you know, people not showing up to um, to the baseball games or the volleyball games or the swim meets or the cheerleading competitions or the dance competitions or music or on and on. Right. Or saying, OK, you got to be plus. Where's the A? Right. Yeah. It's not a recognition of progress. Uh, it's instead it's it's diminishing the, the progress and the effort. Can I so add one thing to that? There's a lot of people who feel like they received maybe all of that, but the piece that was missing for them was the actual emotional presence of their parent. Well, well I would put that in there. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so that they, that's the good stuff that they missed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so yes, I would absolutely include that. Mm -hmm. The third category is of, of this part of disguised grief is grieving over what never was. So think about that as the kind of uh, uh, limitations, if you will, uh, or the opportunities you didn't get to have in, ch in childhood or adolescence, particularly. So maybe you grew up in poverty, for instance, and there were limited opportunities because of it. Or you, you ended up going to one school district as opposed to a different school district and missed out on certain things. So it's, it's, it's the kind of missed opportunities, uh, if you will, of what what again what you didn't get and then the the fourth one is what is not now so that think of again so if if what never was was the circumstances and situations and opportunities that have to do with your your earlier life then what is not now has to do with the situations opportunities and circumstances of your current life and then it's also grieving over what may never be so there's five categories there and and certainly so think of what may never be is Someone who never responds to you in a way that you felt like you really needed. It could be also um, many, many dreams unlived, right? That you saw the potential of something and that, that there was never an opportunity to see that potential come through. And as you describe all of those possible reasons for disguised grief, everybody has some of those. 
If we've lived a life, we probably have some of those. <laughs> if, yes. if, if we have been a human on earth, yeah. <laughs> we have had uh, several forms of those types okay. of, of grief right. at different points in our life. And as a society, we just have not known how to do with that. We, we again, those come under the those categories of unpleasant feelings that we just have avoided. And to do this type of grief work that you're suggesting, like it really takes time to sit with this and to kind of go through what were some of my expectations? What were some of my needs? What were some of my wants that didn't get realized? And it can be a lot to look at the amount of grief that you do carry because of these different circumstances in your life that you didn't know that you were carrying that grief. Right, right. I think I think the people get awakened, if you will, to this kind of grief that I, I've never, I've never actually heard anybody talk about it in quite in the way that I framed it. And, mm-hmm. and I think it, it opens the door for people to also have a way to actually work with it. So not only for me, is it identifying uh, whether I'm identifying it through the, what I call the grief signal words, or I'm identifying it through those five categories that it's also that I've provided, uh, if you will, a, a protocol or a way to actually then make sense of those life experiences. Yeah, you've got the grief reset protocol. Right, right. Awesome. And as we're talking, I'm realizing just how much grief and trauma can get kind of caught up into the same thing where they're just two sides of the same coin then, where we're carrying around these life experiences that put us into a state of feeling helpless because we couldn't change things. Right. And that right there is kind of the basis for something becoming traumatic is feeling like we're out of control. We have no control over how the outcome is going to be, uh, our involvement in it, being able to keep ourselves safe, being able to provide for what we feel we need. And so grief and trauma go hand in hand. Yes, absolutely. We're grieving over the trauma. All right. So I know that you've written the book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. And a lot of this type of of reset is there where, again, it says 90 seconds, the wave. You've got the grief reset that's part of this. Walk us through through that grief reset. So the again, what I did is I used the letters uh, for the word grief to to represent kind of the the steps that you can take. The the first really the G is just simply recognizing that you in fact have experiences in your life that are important to where where it's important to pay attention to the grief. That would that's really the first step. It's pretty quite simple, Mm -hmm. if you will. The second, uh, the simple, R. Although not necessarily easy. <laughs> not necessarily easy, but but simple. Simple, simple, simple to recognize. Not yeah. necessarily easy to to negotiate. <laughs> sure. um, yes, I I have to I have to be reminded of that. The the R is the ref, to reflect. So what I mean by this is that if there are particular life experiences where you feel like you continue to think about them and you keep on yep. looping over them or or you recognize that you have some bitterness or resentment or hold grudges or or those kinds of things, I would say identify what memories are associated with that and then pick one to start with. Again, it's not working through everything. And oftentimes when you start to work through one memory to make sense of that life experience, um, there's sort of a domino effect for things that are like it. So it's not that we have to go through every single memory in our life, which would be impossible anyway, 
but it would be it would be picking out the most important ones. And as you make sense of those, you start to make sense of some of the other experiences in your life as well. So there's an advantage to it. So the R is reflect and choose one, something to work with. And then the, where the real work starts has to do with what I would call inquiring more deeply. So that's the I in the grief. And, and I, what I do here is ask uh, or raise a number of different questions for people to begin to work with the life experience. And, and it, to make it this, the um, easiest to understand or the simplest is to think about this inquiring phase as making sense of the impact and meaning a life experience or certain life experiences had on you over time. And the overtime piece is really important to me as well. So it's meaning and impact, if you will would be the two big words I always associate to it. So I'm looking at the meaning and impact it had on your life when it occurred. I'm looking at the meaning and impact it had on your life as you aged and the meaning and impact it has on your life now. So the the idea that I'm really trying to invite people to think about is who did they become because they went through the different kinds of experiences that they went through? So, and again, there's there's an innumerable, I mean, it's an endless list of questions that, that can be raised to help somebody kind of sort through this. And I have uh, probably nine to 15 kind of guiding questions there for people to work through. But that's really the essential idea in the inquiring phase. Mm-hmm. Then the, the next one, the E, is extracting the positive learnings or what I like to call extracting the good. And that, that many times when we go through difficult life experiences, despite the fact that they were horrible for us, right? And, and, and I'm not saying anything, I'm not saying that, that cruelty is good for us, right? And there's no, I, I'm not advocating that at all. But I do think that what we, many times the wounds we experience become the portals for our own growth. So a really good example here is a child that grows up in a, a home that's maybe chaotic and, and there's maybe threats of violence. And what that child does is go, I'm not staying here. And so what do they do? They get really good at academics and they join every extracurricular club they can join. And they go through their entire academic career like that. And now they're well positioned for uh, for college or for some other things. But it came out of something that was very painful and very difficult. So that, so that we don't always look at, at life quite in that way. And, and again, it's also moving away from this notion that life is happening to us yep. and, and developing a different perspective with the idea that sometimes, even though it doesn't look that way, that life is actually happening for us so that we stay open to turning those life experiences that we have into learning experiences. So that would be the E part of extracting the good. And then the F is forgiveness. We start with forgiveness. And, and so it's forgiving yourself for what you did or did not know and for what you did or did not do. It also means forgiving others for what they did or did not know and what they did or not did, what they did or did not do. And again, it's never condoning something right. bad, right? It's never approving of that. But we think of forgiveness really as you releasing yourself from living in the past. That's what that's really what forgiveness is all about. It's to go, all right, my being stuck in the past, that kind of owns me right now. 
And I'm not going to, I'm no longer going to let myself live from there. I want to live in the present. And so I, forgiveness is really the, uh, the activity, if you will, the mental activity or the mental and heart activity that allows us to move forward in our life. And then the, uh, there's two more Fs. One is uh, the, uh, the second one is to free yourself from your old life story. So that who, uh, so with an understanding that who you were then is not who you are now. So that you can free yourself up from that old life story. And then the last part of it, last part of it is to forge uh, new ideas of who you want to become. So okay. it's, it's like, who do I now? Okay. Now that I've kind of worked through this, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? And you actually have a lot of influence on being able to create that. So forging new images on who you want to become. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's so much hope in, in this work. There's so much hope in what you bring to people where it's not just understanding the grief, understanding disguised grief, understanding unpleasant feelings, but it's actually a way to unleash this potential for um, areas and and, and uh, like a level of aliveness that they never knew was even possible in their life. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Today, we discussed the world of disguised grief and its impact on our biology. We learned that emotions aren't just experiences. They have a massive influence on our body. And then we walked through the eight most common emotional responses and introduced this concept of disguised grief, which can often be a root cause of various health issues. Now, disguised grief is stored trauma in the body. Grief is a common emotion that surfaces when we start working with the shutdown or trauma response of the body. Sometimes it is just grief that has been stored and sometimes it is grief for how much a person has missed out on life because they've been living in a place of fear and trauma and shutdown. I have a free guide for you on steps to identify and heal trauma. This guide will help you understand whether stored trauma is at play in your emotional responses, knowing that grief and when we get stuck in grief, disguised grief is always one version of stored trauma. You can find this guide, The Steps to Identify and Heal Trauma, in the show notes and by visiting the web link that I have there. If you're interested in diving deeper into the biology piece, remember that my team and I offer a 40-minute one-on-one biology of trauma health coaching session to personalize your next best step for addressing stored trauma in the body. What resonated with you from this episode? I would love to hear about it. And on the webpage for this episode, you can drop your comments. Again, I have the guide, the steps to identify and heal trauma. It actually has a short quiz in there that you can take with different signs and symptoms of stored trauma. Again, knowing that disguised grief is one of those. Also, we want to start moving into tools and not just awareness, but tools. And you will learn that in that guide as well. I'm your host, Dr. Amy. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and I look forward to sharing the next one with you. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. 
Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.